Thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, please check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com. You can also search One Cause Church on Facebook and on Twitter. God bless you. I want to say, as soon as I get up to preach, the youth pastor leaves the building. I don't know what's going on there, but you better come back here in a little bit. All right. Uh, she's gonna she's gonna hurt me later for that one. But uh, how is everybody? Great. Man, oh man, don't I look sharp tonight? <laughs> I want to tell you, yeah, don't 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 get used to it. Um, I actually had the privilege of being at Adriatica today and got to shake Rick Santorum's hand. It was really a great experience as he he is one of the candidates running for president. And I didn't know a whole lot about him at the time, but today I learned a whole lot more. The man loves Jesus and is uh, totally pro-life and has been a great voice against abortion. And he, is, um, he's, he didn't have much money, but that guy's got the, he's got the goods. And I, I'm not telling you who to vote for. Just saying he's available. It was a great time. And um, I, I learned a lot today. And it was a real privilege to be part of that, that whole experience. Um, I want to jump into the book of Galatians. But first I want to say hello to the mama and papa of the house. Pastor John and Miss Ann are here with us tonight. And uh, really glad to have him. Pastor John, you want to say something? Can you do it in like 30 seconds? No, I didn't think so. Okay. All right, well, he's actually going to be teaching here. Actually, I think Wednesday. Is it next Wednesday? Pastor John will be preaching here next Wednesday night, so he'll be teaching. So very excited about that. All right, now, we started the book of Galatians last week, and it was all right. Wasn't that a great time in the Word of God? I mean, this book excites me so much, and the more I dig into it, the more excited I get. It's so, so rich and so wonderful. This is Paul's defense of the gospel here. All right, It's a strong defense. And last week we, we, we uh, got right into the first chapter. And so go to Galatians 1. And tonight I want to give just a little recap, but we've got a lot of things to cover. Now I told you this Galatians series is going to be steak on the plate. We're going to skip all the appetizers. We're going to skip the, the salad. We're going to go right to the steak. All right. Now I want you to name your favorite cut of meat. Filet, ribeye, what else? You just, just shout it out. All right? All right, that's what you're going to eat on tonight. All right, just imagine the Word of God as your favorite piece of steak. All right? So we're going to do a lot of eating, some good steak. And if you're like me, you'll also pour some of that spicy Mexican butter on top of it. Oh. For your health, of course. Galatians chapter 1, last week what we talked about was Paul right out of the gate said, I'm apostle not from men nor through men, but from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember I talked to you how important it was for us to understand how the authority of that statement. And, and I talked to you about meeting or seeing Richard Wormbrandt speak and knowing what he had gone through and anything that man had to say, we were captivated Right, because of his 
because of his, his body that, was, that suffered so much, the things he went through for the gospel. And then here this man, Paul, has done so much for the gospel of Christ. And he stands, and he's, he's got our attention. And then the first thing he says after he tells us where his authority comes from, the first thing he says is grace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Woo, isn't that wonderful? And then he gets right into defending this gospel. He says, I marvel that you've turned away so soon from this gospel. Remember, we talked about the, the three different false perverted gospels that have crept into the world apart from the gospel of whoever believes on his name will receive remission of sins. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, right? But they began to pervert it, and the Judaizers were perverting it, and this is the main perversion that Paul was talking about here, those who said faith plus the law equals righteousness. And so that was the first. And then we talked about works apart from faith, baptizing uh, babies, baptizing infidels at the edge of the sword, making them do that before that. It was just a work without faith. Then we talked about just good works, just being a good guy, right? The Cornelius out there. I mean, this guy looks great on paper, right? He prayed to God always. He gave to the poor. He, he, his, him and his whole house feared God. He's a devout man, but he's not saved. He's got everything right, but he's still just as lost as the worst kind of sinner because his righteousness, our righteousness does not come by what we do. It comes through what Jesus Christ did for us. And we just simply believe by faith. And then tonight I want to just touch right. Now, I did touch on this on Sunday morning. Was that a great, those great services on Sunday morning? My gosh. I tell you what, I, like Pastor Brandon said, he said, I believe that we just turned a page as a church Sunday morning. And um, I do too. I do too. That was a great, great description. But this last perversion of the gospel is repent and believe. Repent and believe. It's a perversion of the true gospel, and this is the one that is prevalent in the earth right now, prevalent in the church, and it just shouldn't be. It just shouldn't be. Because repentance doesn't do anything for a sinner. Remember what repentance means? Can you help me here? Change your mind. Metanoia is the word, to change your mind, change the way you think. Now, so, so for the guy who's lost, he can just change his mind. It's not going to do anything for him. Right? But the moment he believes, everything changes. And then we talked about um, um, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, when Peter is talking to the Jews about him going to this, <laughs> this heathen's house. And he's defending and he tells them what happened. The Holy Ghost fell on them as up on us at the beginning. And then I remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, John, indeed baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so then, he, and then when they heard this, they said, then, then the Lord has granted to the Gentiles repentance. So they, God has given them, once you believe, then you are given the ability to actually repent. Then you can actually renew your mind and it means something then. It, the change actually means something. Because now you are in Christ, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Your righteousness is not come by, by your repentance. It comes by faith in Christ. But then you live out this righteous life by changing the way you think. We live a life of repentance. 
I'm not talking about sobbing at an altar somewhere. Now, if that happens, that happens. But I'm talking about just living your life, changing your mind continually to the truth of the Word of God, right? Remember what I said last week, that truth is truth no matter if you believe it or not. It's because you believe it don't make it true. It's true anyway, right? And the gospel is the truth. And so now Paul, um, here in Galatians chapter 1, uh, Verse 10, he says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I, would, I wouldn't be in this thing. I would not be chained to this gospel. Wow. But I cannot get off of the simple truth that by, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that, uh, that, that's, what, that's what they're beating me to pieces for. Because that's all it was, simple faith in God. Now, tonight, we're going to get to know the Apostle Paul a little bit. Now, I've got several scriptures we're going to go through. I, don't have, I mean, after I wrote all these, these scriptures, I was like, there ain't no way we're going to get through all that tonight. But we're going we're gonna to work on it, all right? We're going to get through quite a bit of it. So if you're taking notes, write fast and furious. Verse 11. And I do want you to take notes because we are going to kind of go, go quickly through this, all right? And there's a lot to this. Verse 11 says, But I make known to you, brethren, the, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. He's coming back full circle. Not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter, James, and John didn't teach me this. Jesus taught me this. Now, before his, before his conversion, Paul persecuted the church. Galatians 1.13 says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Now, run over to Acts chapter 8, and we'll see this for a moment. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 says, Now Saul was consenting to his death, that is Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, that, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Now, I, I want to just take a, a verse, a verse 2, I'm sorry, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Three, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. I want you to understand the kind of man that Paul formerly was. All right? This is not, <laughs> this, this is the Osama bin Laden of the day. All right? And he was dragging men and women out of their houses, terrorizing homes taking them to prison for their faith in Christ because they were assembled as a church, single-handedly wreaking havoc. Now, what I love about the way this chapter starts, the first two words, now Saul. But right before that is this incredible story about a man named Stephen. And if we back up in chapter 7, verse 57. It says, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. That is, they ran at Stephen. Cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named 
Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Can you imagine what what this must have been like? Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The next two words, now Saul. Jesus answered Stephen's prayer. He prayed the same prayer his Savior did. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Don't lay this charge against them. So God said, okay, the only way I can do that is to call him. The only way I can answer that prayer is to call this monster into the ministry. Now Saul, now the focus comes on this guy. What a grace. What mercy. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Not just there in Jerusalem, but look at this. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Who's, who's this? Peter, James, and John, and all the other guys went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This guy was ready to, I mean, he was out to, he had one mission in mind, destroy the church. And you know what? This is something that he completely believed that he was supposed to do. Go to Acts 26 for him. We're just going to get to know Paul for a little bit, all right? Know where he's coming from. Know what he once was. Something that he truly believed he was supposed to do. Acts chapter 26 and verse 9. You might write this down. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This guy's a maniac, right? But he's got this zeal about him, and he believes he's doing this for God. And he's out against that name, Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't it interesting that the day he got called by Jesus, he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. He believed it was something he was supposed to do. And now go back to Galatians 1. Look at 14. And he says, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. And as a scholar, he trained at the feet of Gamaliel, how do you say that, Doc? Gamaliel. I indeed, um, and, and uh, Acts 22, 3, it says, I indeed uh, am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. All right, so he's telling them, I learned it from the best. Acts 5.34, just write that scripture down. It tells us of, uh, it's so hard to say, Gamaliel. The one, then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people. All right? So this man is highly respected in the community, and Paul says, that's the guy I set at his feet. I learned from the best of the best. All right? 
In social standing, he advanced beyond all of his contemporaries. He's the best student in class. He held these positions of religious power, Acts 26, 12. I'm just going to reference some of these, and some of these we'll turn to. It says, while thus I occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. Um, and, and likely this, this gave him success. It gave him financial power. Uh, he was absolutely on the fast track to success among all of his peers. He was zealous for his ancestral and religious fathers and traditions. And he says, verse 114, as we read, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly jealous for the tradition of my fathers. Now also, he's proud of who he is too. Uh, Philippians 3, uh, 4 and 5 says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Well, concerning the law, a Pharisee. This guy's got, as far as religion goes, he's got everything to brag about. Proud to be a Pharisee, also proud to be the son of a Pharisee. In Acts chapter 23, he said, I'm a Pharisee. I'm the son of a Pharisee. I'm in the lineage of Pharisees. It's like my father. Now I want you to turn over to Acts 26 for a moment. Are you with me? I don't want to lose you. We're just getting to know this guy. Know what kind of man he was. He was extraordinary. I mean, Paul was an extraordinary man. Acts 26, verse 4 and 5, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Now, there are these other Pharisees out there that they call themselves Pharisees. They're not really Pharisees. I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm the top dog. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm crossing every T and I'm dotting every I on that law. These Pharisees, they were noted for their opposition to Jesus during his ministry. Matthew chapter 12 says that they plotted against him how they might destroy him. And with, with, with such a religious background that he had, he was naturally raised prejudiced to Jesus. As it says in Acts 26, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was the number one enemy of on our list. But after his conversion, let's, let's go back to Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he didn't see these guys for three years after his conversion. And even then, it was just for about two weeks with Peter and, um, and, and James, the Lord's brother. But he was unknown uh, by his face to, to everybody, thank God, um, when he went to Judea. And, um, and uh, 
he says, uh, they, they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches faith, which he once tried to destroy. <laughs> this guy is preaching the thing he used to try to kill. But what is the explanation for Paul's conversion? Why would he do this? Why would he be this kind of zealot for religion? A Pharisee of Pharisees, keeping the law, out against the church. And what, how, what caused him to make this sudden turn? What could be the motive here? Let's just talk about a few of those things. Perhaps, could it, could it have been about money? Well, he already had that. First, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. You guys are eating, apparently. You're so quiet tonight. He had the wealth already with the Jews. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, 11. It says, To the present hour we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands, being reviled. We bless being persecuted. We endure. So apparently it wasn't about the money. Acts chapter 20 says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. So if it's not about money, then maybe it's about fame. But hey, Paul already had fame with the Jews. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 4.10, he says, we are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished. We are dishonored. Verse 13, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made the, as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. <laughs> so it can't be about fame. It's not money that lulled him into this gospel. It's not fame. Maybe it's power. Well, he had that with the Jews too. So let's compare this with what he suffered as a Christian in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he says, verse 24, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Now 40 times, I mean uh, 40 times minus one, three times. Can anybody add that up right quick? Five different times he had 39 stripes. 195, isn't it? 195 times. And then three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Well, Stephen didn't survive that event. Right? As a matter of fact, they left him for dead. It's really believed that he did die. Paul probably did die at that moment, but just didn't stay dead. I mean, these guys knew what they were doing. When they stoned you, they made sure you were dog dead. In perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. I can't find any ulterior motives here in Paul's conversion. 
Not power, wealth, or fame. None of them. So maybe he was just deceived. Maybe Paul was just deceived. So who would have deceived Paul? Well, his his friends wouldn't because he was their champion against the church. And the Christians couldn't because of his persecution against them. Who's doing, who's, how could Paul possibly be deceived? He put them into prison. He chased them in, uh, uh, out of their towns. And even after his conversion, many of them were afraid of him. His testimony really doesn't allow the possibility of being deceived. He claimed to receive his gospel from Jesus, not anybody else. He claimed to see Jesus raised from the dead. Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 8, he says, Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of time. The experience of his testimony completely excludes the possibility of deception. Okay, so if he wasn't deceived, then maybe he was just out of his mind. He did get accused of that. Acts 26, verse 24 says, Now as he... Thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and reason. Hmm. Others have tried to explain Paul's conversion in psychological terms, saying that he was so guilt-ridden for what he did that that's why he, he tried to make up the rest of his life doing the right thing. But that's, that can't be true either. He, he had a clear conscience. Acts 23, 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. It's not guilt. It's not guilt driving this man to do what he's doing now. So don't forget... It was something that he thought he should be doing. He thought he was supposed to be doing this to the church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I love this. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in an unbelief. I thought I was doing the right thing. God had mercy on me. He saw Jesus more than once, too. Let me just give you a few instances. Is this all right? Are you learning something here? Not just on that road to Damascus, but Acts chapter 18. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. That's Acts 18. Acts 22. He says, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple that I was in a trance, and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you, and with the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed. 
And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. That's you. And then Acts 23 says, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Several, several occasions where Jesus was with him, appeared to him. Several times when he saw Jesus. But look at his epistles. Do these, guys, do these letters look like letters of a madman? The only plausible explanation then is he saw Jesus. And that changed everything. He had an encounter with Christ. Turn to Acts 22, and I want you to just see this for yourself. We're going to read a little bit here. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, uh, father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near to Damascus at about noon, Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he answered and said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then a certain man, a, a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Isn't that tremendous? That one moment, that one encounter with Christ completely changed this man. That encounter with Christ changed you, didn't it? It made you different. It made you think different. It made you act different. It made you believe different. It made you talk different. An encounter with Christ, I'm afraid you just can't recover from it. I don't ever plan on it. And what he is going to reveal to us in the ages to come 
are the riches of His grace, will always and forever be in awe of our Savior. Isn't that simple story still extraordinary today? That on a lonely hill, on a lonely cross, hung a lonely man. Praise God. This is the apostle to the Gentiles. This is why we preach the way we do today. Because this man taught us who Jesus is. He taught us of the grace of God. He taught us about that simple gospel and that all the power is in that gospel. The power to save men is in that gospel. Let's keep it where it is. <laughs> we don't have any more revelation than this guy right here. We're not smarter than Paul. He was on, all the way on the other side of the spectrum. He saw the law for what it really was. You know what he called the law? The strength to sin. That's all that empowered him to do, to be a sinner. But the grace of God, a whole different thing. The grace of God that's appeared to all men teaches us denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Hallelujah. It teaches us to live right. The grace of God that comes to us, not, not by works of righteousness, not by anything that we've done. It's unearned. It's undeserved. It is unmerited. Hallelujah. And you know what Paul ended up saying here? I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. This is one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection of Jesus, this man's conversion right here. The fact that he had so many encounters with him. Now, let me finish with this. You've been a good class tonight. Galatians 2 is going to be ridiculous. Just telling you. I gave you a lot of historical things here tonight. It's important that we understand who we're hearing from and why he's saying the kind of things he's saying. Because when we get to Galatians 2, wow, the door is going to get kicked open. All right? And uh, it's going to get dirty there for a little bit. But it's good. Did we finish Galatians 1? I'm so, my, my Bible just went blank here. I don't know why. I have one whole section. It just goes blank. That is really odd. Okay, let's finish this. I need a Bible right quick. Okay. Let's go to verse 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, I, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by the face under the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preached the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in 
me. And that's where I want to finish it tonight. Just finish chapter one. Thank you, Pastor Holler, Dr. Holler. They glorified God in me. The glory is in the gospel. The glory is in the gospel. The glory is in the gospel. Amen? And it's that beautiful gospel that we continue to preach. And I want to encourage you here. When you go out of here, I want you to go out of here with boldness. Go out of here with boldness, understanding that you have this great, 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 great responsibility to men to hear a message. Remember how I talked to you on Sunday morning that Acts eleven fourteen says, by words, these words, he's going to tell you words by which you and all your house will be saved. And we, we talked about the idea of let us preach the gospel and use words if we have to. No, 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 no. The gospel is words. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The problem with that is it's gotten us quiet. Uh-huh. Trying to let our action, the, the actions speak louder than words. The problem is our actions follow our words. So if we don't give words, then we don't empower our actions. So if we preach the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, you'll give your life the ability to lift the gospel. Amen? So preach the gospel. To give every opportunity then to tell somebody that Christ died for their sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. I love that. Amen? Let's stand together. Once again, thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. We invite you to check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com for upcoming events and information about us. God bless you.